this girl told me about this like rite of passage she did with a bunch of shamanesses and and I was making this painting that involved like a waterway and pyramids and I knew I had to combine visions together but I didn't know what it meant yet and she came and told me exactly what procession I was depicting in this painting and that she had gone through it and she described what was on the other side of the pyramids and it was just very it was creepishly specific and I was like whoa who are you wait what tribe it must be my birthday because i have the extreme honor to present myself with a fantastic present in the form of this episode with one of my personal heroes in the visionary art realm the one and only morgan mandala with this conversation we intend to conjure up some high vibrational inspirational visionary verbiage about morgan's journey on the transformational festival circuit doing live paintings and spreading the vision of the true self through her symbolic collages painted in the language of nature. Living out in the promised land of Colorado, but frequently hopping around the globe, Morgan has explored ancient ruins, attended modern shamanic medicine ceremonies in the jungle, and probably seen some of the craziest festivals the world has ever known. An adventurer who self-proclaims that her paintings seek to represent the inherent and indivisible connection between all life and energy in the cosmos, Morgan has captured some beautiful perspectives on the infinite fractal we call the universe, with macrocosmic symbolism and microscopic attention to detail. This is one of those episodes where words just won't do justice to the art, so if you have the time, I do recommend taking a moment to look up Morgan's work online through the show notes of this episode or on the Googles. You could spend hours feasting those sweet peepers of yours on the extraordinarily exquisite portfolio of today's guest, and you might even find yourself touched by a recognition of archetypal energies. So with introductions complete, let's not forget to set our intentions for this chat by each taking a moment to center ourselves in our hearts, remember our breath, and consciously project as much gratitude as we can to our extremely creative guest, Morgan Mandala. Thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show. Aloha and welcome to the one within all. Interverse Tribe, it's my extreme honor to present to you this episode with one of my personal heroes in the visionary art realm, the one and only Morgan Mandala. Just in time for my birthday in a few days, Morgan and I have mama-fested this conversation to conjure up some high vibrational, inspirational, visionary verbiage about her journeys on the transformational festival circuit doing live paintings and spreading love and light through her symbolic collages, painted in the language of nature itself. Living out of the promised land of Colorado, but frequently hopping around the globe, Morgan has explored ancient ruins, modern shamanic medicine ceremonies in the jungle, and probably seen some of the craziest festivals the world has ever known. An adventurer who self-proclaims that her paintings seek to represent the inherent and indivisible connection between all life and energy in the cosmos, Morgan has captured some beautiful perspectives on the fractal we call the universe. This is one of those episodes where words don't really do justice to the art. So if you have the time, I do recommend taking a moment to look up her work online through the show notes of this episode or the Googles. So with introductions complete, let's not forget to set our intentions for this chat by taking a moment, each one of us, to center ourselves in our hearts, 
breathe deeply and project as much gratitude as we can to our guest, Morgan Mandala. Thanks so much for being here with us and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on here. It really is. What's new in your life lately? I see that you're in your own home studio. I imagine back from some globetrotting adventures, <laughs> right? Yeah, actually, we just uh, we got back from Australia a little while ago. That's one of our favorites now. Rainbow Serpent and Earth Frequency are kind of the two big ones out there that uh, have us out. Um, there's an amazing crew of artists and people and really a tribe. We call it the Worldwide Love Tribe because it's so similar to what you might find here in the United States. And um, same vibe, same intentions, same, yeah, same tribe. It's, it's just a cool thing to be involved with around the world. So we love doing that. We got back from Australia and have been um, really preparing for a show we're going to have with our friend Phil Lewis at his studio here in Boulder, his gallery studio. And that's next Saturday. So trying to finish up this painting here and a lot of little like mini stash boxes and some other fun stuff Randall and I've been doing together. That's awesome. I love to see the collaboration between artists that is sort of going on in this uh, scene that has been emerging around the festival circuits and kind of converging in places like the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors. I've seen some stuff that you've done there. Yeah, I, I guess, what's it like being part of this emerging new wave of consciousness, it's a huge influence on, I can tell you like your art and other people like yourself have had such a huge influence on me personally that I've you know, completely changed directions in life and realized my own potential for creativity in much greater degrees thanks to the inspiration available. So it's, it's pretty heavy duty. That's got to be one of the, the coolest, most rewarding things, you know, is like a, we're just kind of caught up in something we didn't expect. You know, you start painting, live painting, painting things that were important to us. And we kind of think of it as like, you know, there's a, a groundhog digging his hole and he might be unearthing things like gems and all this stuff, you know, and people are like, look, look behind you, look what you've unearthed. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm just making my hole. You know, and so it's it's amazing to hear that from people and to to have so many people resonate with the art and uh, change. I mean, that's the ultimate ideal and influence we would love our art to have. But one of the coolest things I love about this whole movement and this community is the collaborative aspect of it. Because for one of the first times in history, artists are coming together and kind of putting the work as a collaboration before their individual idea of what their tag is as an artist or what they want to do. And, and we're kind of coming together in celebration, supporting each other. It's not a competitive vibe like a lot of other art scenes seem to be in the main gallery world. So it's kind of a beautiful, uplifting, supportive underground of artists and we love hanging out together and we love working together. It's like, it's, if you're a painter, you're a part of the family, you know? And I, I think that is invaluable and unique to this whole movement. And that has also in turn supports you as an artist by yourself, because you learn so many things from collaboration with people that you can bring it back and go deeper into your own work. Thinking about the way the community emerges and sort of the the ground of trust and then sort of shared visionary experiences that are involved 
with this, whether it's from collaborating in medicine ceremonies or actually on the canvas. I think it's pretty cool and psychedelic that multiple painters can have the same blank slate, but draw forth a unified image that they're all seeing together in their mind's eye. They're each seeing different facets of it, like a little microcosm of the fractal of what, how I see life is in general as being a single unified thing that has a bunch of different perspectives on it. And that's what the artists are each carrying a different piece of the jigsaw puzzle in a way. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a kind of a beautiful metaphor for life. You know, we all are working on one big thing together, but, and everyone has their individual piece and part that makes the whole stronger. And if you can kind of, yeah, put yourself aside and just, what does this whole thing need? That is kind of a really beautiful experience. It's a kind of paradoxical thing too, because the artist is a pure individual, but in the community of artists, there's still this collectivism that is natural and not enforced in any way, and it's not conformist in any way. What's collective about it is the truly unified individual internally doesn't see a separation between themselves and other people. Yeah. And if you have a whole bunch of people who are like that, then there's no need for any kind of enforcement of some sort of like communistic law about how things should flow. Instead, yeah. everyone is able to trust one another and just let each other be and take care of what parts that that person feels motivated and inspired to take part of in the group. If we could translate this type of collaboration from just the art world to human relations in general, we could change everything because we could have sort of a familial relation of trust with one another just by the very fact that you can see another person expressing themselves authentically and what it is they create and know that that makes them like you. When I see certain people's artwork, I automatically tune into their frequency in a sense. And it doesn't mean that visionary artists are perfect people or messianic or prophets or anything, but there's a difference between one who's seeking the true self and you can see it. Has a lot to do with trust and opening yourself up, whether you're collaborating or going into your own thing. And also what is your interest and your aim? Like when, whenever we do classes, we're kind of like, you know, you can paint the flower of life all day, but if you don't, if it doesn't really mean something to you, if you kind of don't study what's behind it, if you are just pulling it out because you think it looks cool or people might like it, it lacks a depth, I think, that someone who's really worked with either a symbol or an idea or an object or something that just purely comes out of them abstractly, people can feel it more than they can feel just a perfectly rendered photo or a painting of a cat or, or a human even. <laughs> so I think collaboration especially is about trust and about knowing that it's going to work out in a way. Yeah, you have to let the other people express themselves and know that they're going to do a good job doing that and, and you don't have to worry. And it's uh, definitely a relinquishing of control. It can be hard for a lot of artists. And it also is hard to work with people who you don't vibe with, you know, even or have a very different process like it. But you learn so much just kind of opening up to where people feel comfortable. And it is a, a metaphor for how we can all work together. You know, we have this project to work on. How can we dance around it and make it happen the best way possible? It's nice. It, it provides a community for artists and a support network if you can relinquish your control and like just kind of dive in with your arms up. You know, Randall and I never have a plan when we make our collaborations. 
And that's how we recently did the one with Threda and Seth McMahon and Peter Westerman and Brian Scott Hampton. I love how it turned out. You know, we were like, all right, here's a color palette. Let's flow. And we worked just for five days straight, barely even talking about the painting at all. But we all love each other, love hanging out, have a similar process to where we're all not afraid to go in not knowing what's happening and just tweaking things as we kind of sense out. That sounds like a medicine ceremony kind of because, you know, a bunch of people taking ayahuasca together might see the same visionary things, not the whole time, but uh, we'll have sort of a unified uh, trip occasionally. He's not necessarily, you know, guaranteed, but you guys working together, you're, you're having a, a unified visionary experience, which is something I guess we've touched on a lot so far. So I, I'd like to actually ask you more about symbolic literacy itself and how that plays into your, both your ability to express and also to understand the world that you're in and your own self. Because I think we're definitely not trained to have any kind of symbolic literacy in any of the formal education we get <laughs> in this Western culture anyway. I took a, quite an interest to that, especially like as I was finishing um, an art history degree is what are these symbols of humankind or what things are inherently understood no matter what your background is. For one of my theses, I did an essay on uh, symbols of unity, and they're basically taking all these different shapes, symbols, very simple ones from different cultures around the world at early times before people could have had contact with each other. Symbols, even like the two triangles intersected up and down, a lot of people see it as the Star of David, was all over the world and meant the same thing in its respective cultures, which couldn't have had any communication at that time. So I think it's a it's a argued view nowadays because we see everything, we take it as learned, everything that we know. In Western society, we kind of think, oh no, all behaviors, all these things are learned. But there's instinct still in us. And we talk it out of our own heads, I think. But there is something inherent about being human. There are things that are understood without words and there are pictorial symbols that can mean the same thing to completely different people. So that's a little bit of like what really got me into symbolism and communication and art and something like the fact that Alex Gray's art is so out of all of humanity, people can pretty much understand what's going on in his art and pretty much get the message. Images, symbols are one of the few things we can do that with, even if it's like, you know, metaphorically, um, Randall and my portal paintings, we see them as we always have this kind of source of light, the star, and then we have all these swirly crazy things on the outside. And what to us, they mean, you know, you are the pure light in the center. That's you at your most true form. And then all of these other kind of designs and things are your thoughts, are our life, are the things that kind of get in the way and sometimes distract you from the light that is actually you. All these, you know, maybe this is the way you look. This is your mom. That's your cousin. This is your thoughts that you don't like. So we see them as metaphors. And strangely enough, we, we thought, you know, that's pretty far out for people to actually understand that by looking at it. And We've had people, while we're live painting, come up and describe exactly what our painting meant. And it's completely abstract. There is no point of reference, you know, necessarily for the idea, but lots of people get it. And so what, are, what, what is that? And 
And I think that's really what I love to touch on in my paintings is what can we describe visually that you have difficulty describing in words, but it's a feeling and people get the same or similar feeling from it. Uh, I love it. I totally have experienced the sort of awakening to the light within just by looking at different art. I've, I've seen people with very hardened hearts look at the right painting and start crying. You can carry so much more in that type of a representation. And it's a lot more than just an image. We are in an energy universe. You, you are energy. Your attention is a form of energy, especially your attention. What you do physically and how you manipulate the physical world around you is also something that leaves imprints. And your intention and your physical action, they're all one thing. You know, there's, I don't see a separation between the spirit and, and matter so much. So what you're doing in the act of painting and spending hours and hours on one image and bringing forth that transmission, it's carrying all the thoughts and energy of you and also especially what you're focusing on and intending while you were making the transmission. And it's all right there for someone else to tap into in their mind because that inner light is the same. It's not like there's a bunch of different points of the one white light that are in different organisms walking around. It's that there's just one and then the different organisms are just different parts of this big mandala that's around it. And so when we get our perspective stuck in one place of the mandala pretty far away from the center and there's all this other, you know, abstraction and design that from close up you can't really see how it all fits into the big picture, that's what keeps us from realizing that there is always a path back to the center that there's many paths back to the center, whether it's through taking in that awareness and remembering from some great work of art or just stopping and catching your breath and actually being in the moment for a second. There's, there's a lot of ways there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, you have a point too with, I think maybe why paintings are feel charged as you literally do set your attention and intention into it for so many hours. It's like a, a battery you're charging it up and then you put it somewhere I think people can feel that too because it's resonant with them just on a human level or just a just being that you can feel the resonance of different objects especially when they've had a lot of attention on them I even find that you know with ancient objects or places where you're like I don't know why but you know you're you walk into a temple and you're hairs on your arms stand up and you feel like you were there almost carving each little thing in a past lifetime. It's, it's kind of like all circles back and all the footsteps that has, have been there. And yeah, that's what helps me kind of reminds me the connection between everything, you know, walking these paths over and over again as so many things and so many beings. Uh, yeah. You feel the echoes of their energy in the form of the stone carvings that remain. And then within yourself and sort of an ancestral memory. I think that exactly. we all do carry an ancestral memory. Whether or not we can ever break down and find some sort of link between a part of our brain or our DNA, which is basically infinite. DNA is crazy. There could be, there's so much information that it could contain, we could never possibly hope to decode it all. So including the entirety of our ancestor memory could possibly somewhere somehow live there. But I don't really need it to because, I you know, there's never been a, real correlate found between any part of the brain and specific memory in the first place. All that they can show is that when you remember something, your brain lights up the same places as if you were experiencing it. So it's <laughs> same wow. with dreams. So you're not really 
there's not like a hard drive that you're carrying around in your skull that's got all of you in there. And that's why some yeah. people can be reservoirs of so much knowledge and wisdom that it seems like they're entirely different species than someone else who does not have that same kind of encyclopedic ability. But what yeah. it all is, is working through links and correlations and the more information right, or the more knowledge you have, the more knowledge you can recall, but connecting it contextually. I think that's what sort of indigenous people probably were experiencing whenever they had actual direct communication with the ancestors, at least in their spiritual beliefs, could be that the entire information of every being that ever lived is still somehow in energetically imprinted into the field, uh, the same field that our consciousness and our memory uh, is all coming from. Mm-hmm. That So the, in that case, and you didn't have psychological barriers of disbelief preventing you, you might even be able to see a sort of apparition of an ancestor and speak to them. And, and many people who claim to be mediums do say they have that kind of ability to this day. So, you know, I've been exploring this topic a lot, but how much we limit ourselves and the potentials for what we can do and experience just based on a materialist mindset. Even those of us who ostensibly have discarded materialism as a personal ideology, we're still either limited by our own deep-seated beliefs and the material first nature of things that is holding us back, or maybe collectively because not enough of us have shifted our awareness. That's why we're still held back it's a it's an interesting question i wonder all the time if one day we'll all just be able to start flying because we, we decide we can well maybe i think it i think it's both i think it's individual and collective and it kind of reminds me of my experience with ayahuasca was that it kind of lifts a couple of veils and it seems like you can peer into or be in more spectral version of of what we're actually living in now, meaning like you can see past, present, future beings and holding the same space or in our mind, we can't see the timeline, right? But they're all, they're existing on planes that we don't normally view or look at. And I don't know why, I don't know if it's something about being a physical human, but you can see, you can, you can experience that, or I've experienced that and have had similar accounts from friends who I was with, even collective experiences, individual experiences, but all kind of agreeing that for some reason you can kind of see living dead and future just all kind of at the same time, like to just rip apart timeline we know and, and everything's kind of right there happening all together, just almost like it's on a different plane. And we just can't usually sense it. But my experience was that down there, at least the consensus of the general population was more open to the idea that there were things and energies or beings or what have you interacting with their lives that they weren't necessarily always aware of or could see. And it was more of a general like, yeah, that's just yeah, ayahuasca and, and seeing other beings and angels. Like, yeah, that's a, that's a real thing. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think that's definitely a community-based thing and ideal. And if this is a practice and people are going into this zone and it's a regular part of life, your brain's a very amazing and crazy thing. Who knows, you know, what you would be able to see if you thought it was true. Um, I think it definitely would open up our world a little bit. I think the groundwork of the personal scaffolding one has of philosophies and and knowledge does 
already have a very dramatic effect on what they can and can't do. So, you know, expanding that out to the collective doesn't seem unreasonable. It's just impossible to prove until we did have some sort of global consciousness shift, which seems to only happen gradually, not in instantaneously. You know, you're one that represents nature and your work all the time. And that's something I've observed in nature is a principle of gradual change being the sort of harmonious route versus rapid change being more destructive in general. Not that things don't balance out in the whole and totality. When you look at everything as one, it is sort of a complete balance, like the yin and yang. In your bio on your site, it actually says you studied philosophy. So kind of curious where you stand on a personal cosmology or how you see the universe in general. And of course, wise people know they don't really know a lot, but it's still, you know, we all do still have some foundational frameworks that we hold. And I'm curious what philosophers might have influenced that as well. Gosh, yeah. Yeah, philosophy was my minor. um, And I did love it, especially because I felt like it really went along with art history and painting in that you're kind of like going deeper into art, you know, at its beginning was more of a tool to be used as a communication or with the divine or to express like that, that relationship really got into it because of that. But I also got into it because I felt like the more I found out, the less, you know, but the more you can kind of absorb. So probably favorite philosopher would maybe be young, but Carl Young, but yeah, gosh, as far as worldview, like you said, I feel like the more, the more I find out an experience, the less I can really put my finger on it. Gosh, how can you sum up like how you, how you view the universe? <laughs> it can be a very difficult thing to ponder for sure, because, you know, you could throw out a lot of buzzwords, like everything's one or whatever, but like what philosophy actually drives you and motivates you, that's something that is almost changing every day for each person. Yeah, exactly. And to like put a nail in it, you know, and describe it in a few sentences. I'm just even trying to think. I mean, I definitely think that there is a lot to bud buzzwords of we're all connected, but I think I always see it as a microcosm, macrocosm kind of deal. I really think that resonates with me a lot because in you know, our world to us is is so big, but then you can zoom in and zoom out anywhere in anything. And I think that's really kind of the nature of, of the universe and what things go into is this microcosm, macrocosm. It's a repeat. It's a fractal of, of anything, really. And you can go into yourself or go into spirituality, quote unquote, or connection by zooming into any single fractal that you choose, um, whether you choose to study plants or art or music if you really go deep enough into any one thing it's still going to take you to the same place anyone else you know just like you said there's all these paths to the center and i think that's one philosophy i really kind of resonate with the zoom in and zoom out thing almost seems like basically that's at the root of the entire good and evil drama that we've created over the centuries like i i think we should zoom out and other people think we should zoom in. <laughs> you know, science is kind of obsessed with zooming in, zooming in, zooming in, breaking things down to their constituent constituent parts. That's the left brain's role in general, that sort of analytical division. Uh, and it's not inherently bad, but it is basically 
the correlated to the force of destructiveness in, in general in the universe. And then there's the, the zooming out, which is the right brain looking at things holistically in a totality. And I think anyone that can't do both things at the same time doesn't really have intelligence because not that they don't have the potential for it, but you know, just pure left brain examination of the world is intellect. And that's very valued in society and pure right brainness is sort of openness and um, holisticness and well, in some right brain has a lot of qualities. And when you're imbalanced in the right brain, just like a left brain imbalanced person is obsessed with materialism and a right brain imbalanced person is kind of passively accepting uh, things without questioning them uh, Mm -hmm. receptivity, you know? So we have to master both of these forces in ourselves, both our ability, our potential to create and to destroy. And we can leverage these things in our own personal experience by letting go of what is not helping our personal value system. And one thing I take from Jung, actually, and it starts out kind of nihilistic, which is his Gnostic writings about, you know, the all being essential nothingness and talking about sort of the the generative force of reality itself is neither good nor evil, but mm-hmm. both things. And yeah, that's a little nihilistic, but when you, when you're in that void long enough and thinking, well, I guess nothing has any meaning overall, there's no God dictating what the rules are, what things should be. It actually is freeing because then you get to create your own meaning and value. And I think that's what the artist has realized about life in general is that, Creativity is sort of about decision-making and just going with it. It doesn't, a person that's not creative, I say this all the time, they look at the canvas and they go, I don't know what to do. And the creative person, regardless of their skill level, they just do things. Yeah. You have a good point there. And I resonate with that a lot that um, there's not necessarily even good and evil. They're kind of just like one, there wouldn't be one without the other. So we've, we kept a question, you know, if, if everything is nothing, like really we only have our senses to experience from. So how do we even, how can we trust them in the first place? How can we trust our sense? There's no real way besides we can speculate. So it takes left and right brain, like, oh, how can we actually figure these things out? Because we're just trusting that our senses are actually real and that this isn't, you know, some other fabrication. Randall uh, actually brought up recently, and this this has thrown my mind for a loop too, is um, there's some philosophies that are, or some statistics that say it's more statistically likely for, you know, everything that's happening in the universe and expansion and how many planets and stars that we're actually living in a simulation rather than actually experiencing our life. So that we are other beings basically being put in a simulation that is our human life. And I don't necessarily, is it? I mean, yeah, just basically you can break it down like this. If there we're in a a universe where there's a timeline that extends into the future indefinitely, and we see life forms evolve complexity and technology to the level that we're at. And theoretically a continuation of that, then on a timeline that doesn't really have an end, it's reasonable to assume that eventually that the civilizations that arise in a universe could simulate the operations of that universe so perfectly that it's not discernible to certain levels of life that are then inserted into that simulation or created within it. And then all you have to do is go, well, on an infinite timeline, that could have happened infinite times. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) 
and it's just it, it doesn't it actually adds to the fractality of the universe because you're basically saying that it's a simulation inside of a simulation inside of a simulation and that it doesn't change anything practical about your life but it does blow your mind yeah exactly and i think that most ideas of of philosophy and unless you're breaking down you know really breaking it down to its core of anything you do in epistemology or, or metaphysics physics you're you're kind of struck out you're like well fuck we really did the more we try to find out we really don't know anything and that could that simulation could be a reality but then what you know and so that's kind of i feel like we're artists are left to, or like you were talking about kind of giving your life meaning and maybe, you know, there's always good and bad, bad and good, or maybe we don't understand why things happen, but what can we ripple out? What is, what have we seen, you know, helps make things have the attributes that we love growth and, and um, comfort and, you know, all these human needs or just needs amongst a community. What can we do to, to ripple out our good? And some people are scared of the fact we don't know what's going to happen when we die or they want to find comfort in a, in a God or something. And, and, you know, you can, you can believe whatever, but it really doesn't change what we do day to day unless you need some sort of something to base your ideals and, and things like that on. What's frustrating is when I, I love discussing it, but it's really frustrating in the world right now to see people arguing so much and killing over it. And I think generally most humans' intentions, mostly, there are definitely some assholes out there, but most people's intentions are to be good and to, to not cause other people harm. And a lot of the big religions of the world, though I find it fascinating and interesting, they all share a lot of the same core values and beliefs, and it's um, painful to see people I like think of it as, okay, we're all in, we're all stuck in a room and there's a wall and there's another room on the other side of the wall. And we're speculating. We can kind of hear there's something in there. You don't really know. Everyone's speculating on, on what they think it is. And then this one guy who thinks it's a TV has like a hundred people. No, yeah, it's a TV. It's a TV. Someone's like, no, it's a radio. I know it's a radio. I had a dream about a radio or whatever it is, you know, and they're killing each other over what's in the next room. Everyone gets to walk through the door when they die and figure it out. But we're all, we're, we're wasting time arguing about it. So we could be partying in that room. Instead yeah, of that. <laughs> yeah. And enjoying each other's company and knowing that it doesn't matter ultimately because you're going to get to walk through someday. So why argue about it? I think there is, in a, you know, just like kind of how the world microcosm, macrocosm fractals out, I think that we are energy and there's tendencies the way things to go, but creation, destruction, I mean, we have no say. And so we're just kind of on the ride, I think. And the world could swallow us whole and it will be fine. We might not. And that's what, it, it's just like, hey, we're, we're here for the ride. And I, I like uh, enjoying that and rippling out in the best way I can. I don't necessarily know what the purpose is. But. Yeah, but if there was an ultimate purpose or an ultimate morality or any of those things, you completely lose your freedom as an artist because all of a sudden you're supposed to conform to that. So yeah. just because I think that it's better to choose certain things like for your value system, such as compassion and uh, kindness, the, uh, those are great values in my opinion. 
I can't prescribe them to others because the only way it's going to work out for others to, to embody those traits for real and not for some sort of kind of manipulative, self-serving ulterior motive, which would be go to heaven or, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> if they also know the fundamental truth that it's a choice and then they make the choice anyway, that makes it so much more powerful. What, yeah. You know, being the, being the originator of your choice for your value system instead of having it imposed. And neat. that's not to say you can't learn a lot from studying world religions because you certainly can. And there's some really beautiful metaphors available to us there. How do you feel artistic expression is connected to spiritual evolution? How, how's that worked in your own life? I think that for me, it was a, always like a tool of expression. So even as a child, it was hard to, you know, going through hard times, it's hard to like talk to people. And me and my mom didn't have the like talk to relationship or, or things like that. And I wasn't very good with words, but I'd make art about the way I felt and, and as a more communication tool. And I, I just loved to zone into it, to be into a different, you know, if you're sketching or something and you kind of are in a different moment in time for a second. You're inward. You're not thinking about anything else. So it's a nice, it was a distraction and also a coping mechanism. So I think later on that's evolved more into like exploring different ideas and starting a conversation with deeper into myself as far as like, you know, maybe I'll I'll start a painting based on an idea, but I don't know what's going to happen. And then for some reason, I know an object has to be there. And like, I'll just use Trinity for an example. My painting, Trinity, it's a kind of a remake of Pieta. And it's a combination of Kali, Mary, and didn't know who the third goddess was going to be, but that's the story. So basically, I was making this painting. I wanted to do merging of kind of the archetypes of the Divine Mother, Kali, and Mary, who, you know, Kali's really usually seen as this kind of scary, cut your head off, like, but she is actually a divine, loving mother goddess. She just, um, it's the way of portraying her through um, that religion. And so she takes you from life to death and death to life. And Mary is kind of this just holy, loving mother who is also the life to death, death to life from a different kind of perspective or metaphor. And it had wings. The sketch I had with the Pieta, and I changed the Jesus to a skeleton because I wanted it to relate more to you, like like the divine mother holds you. And skeletons, I think, are the most pure representation to me of human, of human and the idea of being human, the idea of being mortal, but also that you, you don't see a race, you don't see a gender, it's just a, a human and a temperate thing as well. So I knew that was going to be there and the being had wings, um, the divine mother, and I knew the wings had to be there. I didn't know why. And I repainted these wings back and forth and I had a yantra in the back that was a representation of Kali. It was kind of her yantra, a puddled lotus. And as I was almost finishing the painting, Randall's like, dude, like you have to figure out why there's wings there. You know, you can't just put wings on a Kali Mary figure that she doesn't have wings, you know? And I was like, I know I need to figure this out. And finally I stumbled upon Morrigan, who is M-O-R-R-I-G-A-N, who's the Celtic version of Kali. And she shapeshifts into birds to take people from life to death and death to life. 
So she was, and her symbol was the eight petaled same symbol as um, Kali. I could be wrong about this, but uh, Isis and Nephthys, the divine twin goddesses of Egypt, I'm pretty sure were portrayed with wings sometimes too. And that's the same reality in a different culture. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of just went forward then and um, saw that connection and was able to like move forward way more strongly in finishing the painting. So there's things that pop up that you don't expect, but if you, at least for me, a lot of paintings I don't understand at first, but the story comes through in the end and it's kind of half and half of like trusting the unknown as you're working through it and you kind of have to dive into yourself, but also pay attention to the signals that you're getting that might not make sense. So it's, it's all a battle, an internal kind of personal battle when you're painting, especially finishing, finishing a painting because there's the fun exploratory part. And then there's the work where you have to just sit and finish it and sit with yourself and sit with your thoughts and for hours and hours on end. And I think that is, uh, takes a little bit of perseverance, personal perseverance. (laughs) Yeah, painting is fun. Sitting with yourself, that's the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. It is. Yeah, I can relate to that with any form of creation. Well, one of the nice things about podcasting, though, is when I'm editing an episode, there's not a lot of room for thoughts because I'm just right in there listening to the audio and making little edits, you know, rapidly. So, and I've, I've experienced in the flow of actual physical art too that same thing does sometimes you do catch that flow and it it's thoughtless it your intention is there but it's not like you're forcibly holding it and it's just coming through and maybe that's connected to that ancestor memory that maybe is lingering out in the field maybe that's how you're able to pull through symbolism that you're not consciously aware that you're aware of and maybe in the back of your head either in that ancestor memory or your actual own history looking into ancient symbolism maybe the winks are coming from that but you know you're you're just drawing on yourself without having to force it and i love that concept that's something i talk about all the time in in context of eastern mysticism and the wu wei not active Mm non-action it has nothing to do with doing nothing yeah (laughs) and everything to do with letting things work through you in in a totally different way without controlling Exactly. Yeah, I think that's one of the most rewarding parts of painting in the way that we do is, and it's not easy, I don't think, to open yourself up to that at all points. But when you do get into that flow that I paint best when I don't think, when I'm not really intentionally saying, okay, I need to make this perfect one. Like when I'm just going and, and yeah, workflow, when you get into that flow, things can happen that you don't plan for, don't expect, but those are sometimes the things that make it uh, make the painting the best. And I, I think you're, whether it's an ancestral, I don't like to, people people think, is they say channeling, and, and a lot of people say, oh, you're channeling. I don't like that word. I think it's super loaded. And I think that we're, we have so many thoughts and influences we don't understand, and that anyone, if you pay attention to um, whatever you're doing, or if you get into that almost, it's like meditation for a long time. You're involving yourself with creation which is a natural act of the universe and and things are gonna just happen naturally and i don't think necessarily requires some crazy brain or gift i think everyone can tap into it um 
and that there's not necessarily something speaking through you, but maybe on some level there is, you know, maybe there is a, a something, you know, whispering in your ear from another realm, but I think it's all a part of your human experience and what you're supposed to experience. I think of the imagination not so much as something's whispering in your ear or the, the muse is coming to you and giving you a gift. Not that you can't look at it that way. You can, but yeah. it doesn't happen unless you show up. If yeah. you don't have the daily practice or sim- mostly, you know, some habitual ritualistic um, consistency to whatever it is you're trying to pull through, then you can't, you're not going to have that level of imagination as someone that's there every day. And mm-hmm. obviously it's a no brainer that your skills are going to be different if you do it every day or not. Of course. Yeah. I think what's cool about the visionary art scenes sort of emphasis on the divine feminine and the, the goddess itself. To me, that's like a reflection of how art being a right brained activity in general and kind of a holistic zooming out and looking at things in a bigger symbolic tapestry way you know, that zoom out is correlated to the feminine and that zooming in that left brain is, is correlated to the masculine and the conscious mind, what we're, what we know that we know in a given moment, that's kind of um, the masculine active principle of ourself by getting so caught up in what's distracting us and not being holistically in every moment that we're in, in a sense and, and past life and future life and all that. But I think what's being explored by people that represent the goddess, whether consciously or unconsciously, is the conscious mind's desire to know what is in the unconscious and really explore all that. And that's sort of what the divine union of the god and goddess even is on on a metaphorical level is, you know, instead of fighting your own unconscious and being either a slave to it or repressing what it is that it wants to express, which is what so many people get stuck in. And that's sort of the war between the the sexes in, in ourselves and yeah. manifests in the world in so many ways. The artist is bringing those forces together. That's what alchemy describes. That's the unification of opposites. Yeah, I think you're completely right with that. And art is a, a way to unify the opposites. And also, yeah, you do have to work for it. And most of the time, whatever muse or if people think yeah whatever people think if there is something whispering which i don't think there is you do have to show up sit in the chair most of the time i mean maybe you might suffer through three hours before you actually get into a flow or maybe you'll have two days where i've worked backwards and and one day working forward you know where i repaint a whole section and then i don't like it so i paint it a different way and right now it is that the the divine feminine masculine whatever this these forces are opposite bringing them together metaphorically in this way too or whatever you're doing is that alchemy as you're boiling it down and boiling it down into what's the meat of what you've got there and expressing any side of it you can't be being a slave to your own thoughts and being is poison i think i think if there is something that you need to express and you're not it will linger and eat away at you. And I think um, I feel lucky as an artist to kind of be able to explore those things. And one of the coolest things is seeing as it ripples out the different reactions people have and, and what it triggers in them and kind of the triggerings can bring about these transformations. And I've seen people go from hating like, uh, you know, either Mira Randall's paintings to like, 
coming full circle and being like, Oh my God, I, I get, I see it now. And I know why this is triggering me. Um, or I, I find the, you find the path back. And if something is triggering you, I think that that is, is kind of screaming a, a little bit about that imbalance and the focus on the divine feminine, I think is also bringing back this idea of women as creators and destroyers. And it's kind of the state of our world in a way right now. Like we have this earth, we're doing all this crazy stuff and it's, it's about to do whatever it wants. It can, it can make things nice for us or it can just destroy everything. And I think we're kind of on this teetering point and the focus on the divine goddess is not only like showing how, you know, kind of women are stepping up in society and trying to do stuff, but yeah, I, I think it's a really telling for the state of our world and the state of the people of our world. And we're looking for, we're looking for the knowledge of both. And um, we want to know that it's going to be okay. But also we know that there's the power of destruction. <laughs> yeah. That side of ourselves that seeks to subdue our unconscious instead of merge with it is represented in the fact that we've got so much ecological devastation happening right now. Mm -hmm. It is, Literally, our, ac our activity, which is a masculine principle itself, activity, is causing harm to the foundational grounds on which we exist, which is what the goddess is representing, often represented by the black night sky with the stars in it, uh, being the, literally the fabric that things are emerging from. The goddess itself represents the generative principle of reality, what we have with a lot of unfortunate Desert-based Abrahamic religions is a concept that a male god is the creator of all things. And believe what you want, folks, but in nature, when did a male ever give birth to anything? Just yeah. doesn't happen. Not that you can't use, not that you don't have creative uh, abilities yourself as a, a male, but the when you break down the correlations between the forces of the reality, it is the feminine force that is the generative principle, the masculine force that is the destructive, but not in a negative sense inherently, but in a, just a balancing sense, the, you know, we, and the goddess itself has both qualities within herself. That's why you get the, the twin goddesses. But what I think is interesting is even studying the etymology of Jehovah, the, the Christian God and the, the, the whole backstory there. He used to have a wife. He had a consort named Asherah that was completely wiped out of history. No one even knows about. You know, there's a lot of that going on, especially with uh, those type of conventional religions is every single religion used to, um, in their texts, describe God with feminine and masculine aspects. So God wasn't always a man or a woman, um, depending on what act God was doing it was described as man or woman, which kind of makes way more sense. Like uh, in different languages, Spanish and French, people have uh, masculine and feminine kind of like descriptions of chair or, you know, le, la and all these different, oh, this is, yes, it's an object, but it has either a feminine attribute or a masculine attribute. And those descriptions were all changed to male a long time early on and especially in the in the christians really kind of pushed and pushed and pushed 
the male dominated view of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy the whole thing, and even in Islam as well. So it's weird. It's almost been omitted, and it's been translated so many times over and over as well that you know so many things have been tailored to fit whatever people wanted to to teach the people for their religion to make them act the way they wanted to. It's just unreliable, all of it. So yeah, it's frustrating to see that. It is. I mean, people don't realize that the keys to their own freedom actually is in their own history. If they could just learn some of some of the things that are apocryphal to know, like Allah itself has origins as a goddess, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, it yeah. makes more sense to me. And yeah. You know, ultimately, though, we what's dividing us is the fact that we, for some reason, need to conceptualize and personify these eternal universal forces that flow from us and around us and inside and outside aren't really separate. But when you have the conceptualization that they're separate and you see these outer forces that you can consistently describe in the forms of the laws of nature, if you will, we enslave ourselves to the dogma that this is how things are and always have been when we've only got such a short window of observation that for all we know, these are the tendencies of nature right now and could entirely change. And that's what we see in really ancient scripts like the Vedas where they've got their gods flying around in spaceships and they've got telepathy, but they've got human qualities though. They, they basically seem like super advanced humans and maybe the cycle of, ages that is described in those ancient scriptures is actually describing psychological shifts within us as a whole where we remember our true potential and express it without holding ourselves back in belief and in enslavement to dogmatic external deities yeah. <laughs> or, and then parts of the cycle where we are free from all that and can literally talk to animals and telepathically speak to one another and live hundreds of years if we desire and I think all of that is in the realm of possibility once you discard the the dogma and start opening up to the foundational the foundational nature that our beliefs have on our actual life experience. Yeah, and make a replicator. <laughs> if we had replicators, that'd be great. All food for everyone. I mean, that seems like it's possible too. Uh, it, it is. We, that, we yeah. are the replicators. All you need is a garden. Yeah, yeah, and. Unfortunately, I feel like there's a lot of people who are kind of ready to take the next step as far as human evolution. And there's a lot of things in place and like, you know, just uneducated people or people just struggling to survive that kind of keep the whole of us down. I think that we are definitely, we're a species, you know, we're, we're just like other species. If, if a population is suffering, it's going to affect the entire population or, or if it's learned something or if it's, um, yeah, having such a huge separation between finances and beliefs uh, just in our own human civilization is definitely going to prevent things from moving forward quickly. But like you said before, I think it's kind of all right to go as slow as we can because things are changing fast and and that does create destruction if we have time to adapt and we decide to actually adapt then i think we can do some really amazing things but it's going to take working together and and you know it's easy to say we're all fucked and and we're going to run out of water and the oceans are screwed and everything's going to change but 
But even if all that did happen, I mean, are you just going to sit there and live in fear? Or are you going to try to move forward? We're smart. We're adaptable. Like, I, you can't give up all faith because just in our community, you know, you, you see and meet people who make you think uh, twice about the human race in a good way. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there and we're pumping or watching, you know, YouTube and, and thinking about Trump and, and hearing about brutality to women or gay people and wars and all these things. And it's like, yes, those are all terrible things. However, we don't usually talk about how there's less people at war for the amount of people we have on the earth than ever before in history. We don't talk about all the good things that are actually happening and the good changes and the people kind of turning on and lighting up. And there are a lot of good things happening too, especially with the giant population we have. So hopefully art too, while it's easy to get caught in the conspiracies and the suffering, like you can't lose sight of, at least for your own physical and emotional and spiritual well-being, moving forward in the best way you can. On the subject of moving forward, as you increase your level of consciousness, what that means literally in a non-buzzword way is that you're more conscious of your world. That means there's more information that you are holding in awareness at the same time. That's going to include an equal amount of joy and sorrow coming into your your experience filters, you know? So yeah. that's why it can be an enlightening and literally lightening process for someone to go through and learn about some of the deep levels of conspiracy that exist in the world, but it doesn't serve the end goal in and of itself because other than allowing yourself to see things that you need to separate from that are harmful to you, it doesn't actually build anything new. So you have to both have that awareness of that, which is not serving and learn, learn about it in its complexity, separate from it and balance that on the other side with what am I building and what, how is that, going to be a different a solution to the thing that was a problem before and ultimately if you have to pick between the two you should focus on beauty focus on what you can build i think yeah. because the uh the other things have a tendency to work themselves out in the life of a creatively inspired person i've seen it just yeah it depends i mean um, yeah, sorry. I lost my train of thought. My cat just jumped up here too, but no um, if you want to say hi, <laughs> this is Moo Moo. Moo Moo. I love, I love your eyes. She's a good kitty. I have a couple. They're just not, they are way too in my face if they were in the room. So they're not allowed. Oh yeah. yeah. They, they, yeah. She usually tries to get on my lap um, when I'm sitting around. So I think we've definitely covered all the stuff that I would wanted to talk about and um, we can wind our way here towards the end. Thank you so much for talking with me and, and yeah. giving a couple of hours. This has been so much fun. I want you to let everyone know where they might see you this year and maybe talk about anything else that you wanted to touch on before we're done or something that you're going to be doing soon that you want people to check out or, you know, your website, all of that good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, it's been so awesome to talk with you, Chance. Really, really smart and interesting person to talk to. So I hope uh, you get a chance to in person someday. Um, and yeah, this uh, coming Saturday, March 24th, Randall Roberts and I have an art show at the Phil Lewis Gallery here in Boulder. Um, and that's when our opening is. We'll probably have art up for a couple weeks. Then we will be 
doing a couple projects. Um, there's going to be at the, it's a center in Denver. It starts with an M. I will post it on my Facebook or my Instagram, but we're doing an event with Alex Niles and Gray, Amanda Sage, David Huskin, Aloria Weaver. Um, there's gonna be a bunch of live painters and that is at uh, the end of May, the last Thursday in May. Um, so that's here in Denver. And then we're gonna be doing a bunch of festival tour stuff. I've got a show in Hilo, Hawaii um, on the first Friday of May. And um, yeah, we're kind of still planning our summer, um, trying to keep it a little bit more local this year, but we'll see. Um, we, we are also trying to find a uh, little bit of land and uh, art studio, so we're kind of trying to make our home space and studio space separate and uh, move on in, in that realm. So Randall and I have been looking for that. So yeah, we've got a lot of stuff um, going on. We'll try to keep that up to date too on my website, Facebook, Instagram. Um, MorganMandala.com is my site. And then Randall is all of this is for you.com. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, excited to be finishing things up as far as painting some new painting releases this uh spring and then full-blown for the summer i love it i can't wait to see what you guys come up with both this year and in years to come it's a really exciting time to be at all interested in the visionary art movement because things are happening rapidly more and more newcomers are picking up the paintbrush and finding that they too have the ability to transmit the infinite onto a canvas. And uh, it's so awesome to see that community expand and grow because each star that rises, there's another star that's been rising longer and, and it's so bright that is showing a path for others to ascend to even greater heights of expression. And you know, the more of us that do a thing, the better we all get at it. So encourage everybody to see what you can do, whether it's painting or drawing or digital art or anything that at all feels like you might be slightly interested in it because that's yeah. what turns into full-blown obsessive passions at some point. Yeah, do what you love and cultivate that and you're going to be feeling pretty good and at least rewarded. It's not going to do you wrong, you know. But you got to work hard. Yep. <laughs> yeah, every day. And you also have to try not to try. <laughs> it's a yeah. paradox. I know. I work and I paint best and I don't think. That doesn't really make sense, but it's so true. Well, it's been great thinking about these things that make sense and don't make sense together. <laughs> I hope to definitely catch you in, in real life at an upcoming event and also yeah. would love to speak with you again sometime down the line. Um, definitely been a great conversation epitomizes what i'm all about here on interverse which is inspiring myself and therefore hopefully inspiring others by checking out the minds of people like yourself so thank you again for coming on much love yeah thank you for having me this is awesome all right bye guys Well, guys, that's the end of the free show. I'm really still in a state of elation to have spoken with someone whose creations have made such an impact on me personally. I hate to cut you off in the middle of a great talk like that, and you're missing out on some of the best synchronicities and stories of the episode if you're on On Plus, but 
I've got to draw a line somewhere. As much as it kills me to have to ask people to subscribe to a medium that they're used to getting for free, as an artist I have to create some way to get my energy reciprocated. Otherwise I'll end up drained and burned out. Think about your favorite band or painter. You didn't mind buying a few of their tracks or posters in support and because you enjoyed it, right? It's really the same thing when you sign up for Interverse Plus. It's $5 a month, and so you're paying about a dollar per episode and getting double the conversation length, earlier access, and plenty of other perks too. You can check it all out at patreon.com forward slash interverse and sign up to get access to the entire back catalog of great plus episodes. And if you haven't gotten curious yet, let me just go over about some of the topics that we delved into during the extension with Morgan. We talked about the equality conspiracy and celebrating true differences and how art teaches us that freedom and personal responsibility are connected about coming together to imagine solutions to society's ills with transformational festivals. Morgan talked about what it's like to live paint on huge stages and create installations at places like Electric Forest, how the visionary artist serves as a neo-shamanic guide to those going through the early adulthood festival psychedelic rites of passage, how creative expression inspires the genius in others, how working through mental, physical, or emotional stagnancy makes flow states easier to attain, and using nature and mindfulness practices to ground and discharge negative thoughts, the artist as a messenger between the platonic realm of idea and the human universe of matter, finding beauty in the mundane by slowing down and paying attention to the moment, Morgan's adventures in the Amazon, Cambodia, and many other places around the world, and synchronicity stories about how talking and paying attention to synchronicities increases their occurrence, the mystery of memory and the doppelganger effect that the traveler experiences. And that's just some of the things I wrote down, of course. There's so much in these extensions, and in this one, there was even a synchronicity. Interestingly enough, Morgan told a story about herself and fellow artist Crystallize experiencing an odd moment together. And that very day I noticed that Crystal had shared the Interverse episode she did with me last year, having just thought about it out of the blue. Seems like she psychically picked up on our talking about her. And that led me to get in touch with her about getting back on the show. So stay tuned for that in the weeks to come. I'm really, really happy about the lineup that's gonna be on the show in April, including some more legendary artists in the festival and transformational and visionary painting worlds. It's my favorite time of year and I'm feeling more inspired than ever to get the most interesting minds I can to meld with on this podcast. So check the episode notes for links to Patreon, to subscribe to Plus, to Morgan's website where you can see her artwork and links to some of the things we talked about and the music I played in this episode, which is some great new stuff from Kalpataru Tree. If you don't want to sign up for Plus, but you want to help the show for free, leave a review on iTunes and I'll even read it back on the show, even if it's really mean. But so far, everyone has been super nice. And when you guys leave those reviews, it helps other people who vibe with our tribe actually find our tribe. Thanks to all of you for listening and supporting art in your lives by loving it and making it. And one more thing. I want to know if any of you out there listening will be attending Backwoods Festival on the weekend of 420 coming up on Mulberry Mountain in Arkansas. It's probably my favorite venue on earth with an amazing nature experience and a beautiful crowd of imaginative and loving human beings. And this festival has a ridiculously stacked lineup of badass music. So there's really nothing to lose by showing up. You can do nature stuff with crunchy hippies or boogie down with the EDM kids. It's all there at Backwoods and I'll be there too. So 
If you're going, then hit me up on social media in the Interverse group and maybe we can see each other there. I really love you guys, so I would be stoked to catch up while I'm in my happy place on the mountain. Big thanks again to the wonderful Morgan Mandala for spending some time with us on Interverse and please do go check out her art and give it some love. Catch y'all next week. I'm going to go play with my new theremin.